Last Sunday, we had a young man, Gavin Dees. His family have been uh, members here for years. In fact, I'm looking at his in-laws right now. They're incredible people. They raised their daughter in the church here. And she met Gavin. They got married. They were even on a staff. You heard it last Sunday at a church. Great people, incredible people, very gifted, very talented. We got so much feedback from last week because a few things happened in the course of life and Gavin began to deconstruct his faith. Now, let me tell you why every parent up here and every parent and grandparent, uncle and aunt in the room need to hear this. You know what causes a lot of that to happen sometimes? Let me be real with you. If you look at church as a weekend event rather than as a lifestyle for the rest of your life, there is this break between what you live on weekends and what you live during the rest of the week. And there's this conflict that exists. And you're telling your kids go to church. Let's go to church Sunday. But then that gets left and Monday morning, it's back to life as usual because church is a weekend thing. That's one of the reasons that people grow up and later deconstruct their faith. They say, what happened? People didn't live it. So exposure to the wrong model is a very powerful but negative influence in the development of a child's faith. And let me explain to you quickly why. Because the first understanding of who God is that our kids and grandkids ever have is what we show them in ourselves. The authority figures in their life come to define God for them at an early age. And they continue to embrace that idea and understanding of God. So when it says, I, the Lord, love love justice, let me tell you why justice is important. It's on the opposite side of the scale of righteousness. If there is no justice, there will be no righteousness. So we get the idea that God is up there ready to pound somebody into the sand because he says, I love justice. No, man, that's not it. It's not it at all. We live in a world where there has to be a balance or the whole world would slide over the edge. And then people look at things that, that are set in motion to correct injustice that righteousness and fairness may be brought to the earth. And they say, God is mean. God's a God of judgment. No, God's a God of love. And this is what we have to teach our children. God said, I hate robbery for burnt offering. He said, I don't like all these games people play. And he said, I will direct their work in truth. And he's talking about in this hour that what God wants to do is he wants to make, correct, he wants to make corrections in our thinking and direct us in truth. And part of what needs to be corrected is our understanding of who God is. He's not, hey, you, Mr. God on the throne, you with a long gray beard. He's not a Santa Claus God. Here's my shopping list for today. He's not, hey, Uncle God, or God with the robes of judgment on. He is our loving Father. 
And when we demonstrate commitment to godly values in the home, we profoundly impact the lives of our children for as long as they live. But if there is a dichotomy between what they hear at church and what they see during the week, it's very deeply damaging. And so this is what God said for those that work in truth. He said, I will make with you, listen to this incredible promise, an everlasting covenant. And your descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and your offspring among the people. And all who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. Hallelujah. Now let me tell you what that means. It means that what God wants to have happen is somebody look at your kids and say, God has blessed those children. Is there anybody that wants someone else to look at your family and say they're blessed? Your kids are blessed. Your grandchildren are blessed. Well, that's why we dedicate them to the Lord. And as a little gift, we've provided you with a a vial of oil. And the reason we did that rather than just anointing your children is because there may come a time when you need to anoint them. Amen. My my wife and our kids were growing up. I'm going to tell you, she anointed our children's shoes, their clothes. She anointed them while they were sleeping. They got out of bed in the morning where they, they did the moonwalk before Michael ja- Michael, whatever, Jackson. They did the moonwalk before Michael Jackson ever heard of the moonwalk sliding around in their shoes in the morning. Because we believe in the anointing of God. It breaks yokes. And when you are anointed, the enemy can't get a hold of your kids. so that's our gift to you and you don't be afraid to anoint your own child before you send them out the door in the morning or if they're going through something or they get sick show them that your faith means something to you and so parents I want want you to take that vial of oil right now and anoint your children and like I said if there's a 95 year old grandmother up here that's got her 73 year old son We'll help you if we need to, grandmother. But anoint your children. Praise God. And if you need help, we have prayer counselors here. And our pastors are going through the group. Amen. And I want to tell you, I'm so glad that you guys are here. Thank you for coming. Your families are amazing. And we want to make a contribution to their spiritual development. You matter to us and you matter to God. So let's pray. Father, I pray right now for every child that is being dedicated. I pray for every one of these who are here. May these be the posterity that others look at and say, the Lord has blessed them. Make them the brightest, the smartest, the most godly. Make them the strongest, the most successful of any children that grow up in this community. Let the hand of God be upon them. God, use and develop their future for good. Let them make an impact 
in the world for you. We cover them. We pray protection upon them. No weapon formed against these families can prosper because they're anointed. We pray against every strategy that the enemy would conceive in his wicked mind to try and damage the future of these children. And we laugh in his face and say, you can't touch these kids because God has blessed them. And the angel of the Lord is protecting them in Jesus' name. So we dedicate them to you. And we truly believe they everyone have a purpose. You brought them into this world for a reason. And so we thank you for them. We thank you for their moms and their dads and their families, the grandparents, the uncles, the aunts, and the incredible contribution that every one of them make in their lives. And may that be a contribution for good and for God that will affect this child as long as they live. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Let's give the Lord some praise in this house right now. Amen. Amen. I wish all of you out there could see what I see. Talk about incredible families. Blessed, I speak it over you. In the name of Jesus, you are blessed indeed. Would you extend your right hand toward them and tell this this whole group up here that we bless you in Jesus' name? God bless you. You may go back to your places. Praise God. Praise God. Well, last week was amazing. We are in a new series and I've got to get quickly into this message. Um, You probably are aware that Wednesday afternoon in the, oh, we usually, what about four, five, six, whatever you choose to, we will have concluded 30 days of prayer and fasting as a church congregation. Amen. And as people go back to their places, we have had a different prayer focus each week. The last two days, we're going to give God thanks for hearing us and for answering our prayers. You you might say, and we have had many, many incredible things that have happened. Miracles are happening. Extraordinary things are happening. But, and there have been miracle healings during this 30 days of prayer and fasting. And jobs and different things have been released just that are, well, God has just done things that boggle our imagination. But if you haven't received your answer to your prayer yet, don't stop believing God. There were 10 lepers and Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest and be healed. And they all 10 left and they were healed on the way, which means the ravages of the disease stopped. But one turned around and went back. Now, leprosy is very damaging because it caused all kinds of damage, like your nose would fall off, your your fingers would fall off, become severely misshapen. With the one that went back, the Bible said, went back to give Jesus thanks. And do you know what happened? He was made whole because he went back to give God thanks. When you give God thanks, it can kick you into the next dimension of your prayer being answered. 
So if you haven't received a miracle yet, spend the last two days because beginning Tuesday morning, going through Wednesday evening, we're going to give God thanks. In Psalms 107, I'm going to have to do this very fast. Verse 15 said, All that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in two. If you need a breakthrough and your praying and fasting hasn't prevailed, start giving God thanks for the breakthrough before it ever gets here. Somebody shout and said, amen. Well, last Sunday, as I said, Pastor Andrew did an amazing job and I appreciated, I thought Gavin did phenomenal. He spoke to something that is very real to every parent and grandparent here. I'm in a series and they continued that last week, even though I wasn't here. And the series is on purposes, plans, problems, and the pursuit, meaning the pursuit of God. Our text for today is Nehemiah 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. That was extraordinary. And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. Now, there's not a person here that hasn't been discouraged before because of an attack of the enemy. How would you like to flip the table and cause him to be discouraged instead. Amen. Well, they became discouraged. The enemies of Israel did because when they saw that wall built in 52 days, and I read, they perceived that this work was done by God. I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes and I want to speak to you about one reason One of the major reasons that I believe there is so much despair, depression, anger, sadness, anxiety, and unhappiness in our world. I believe that it isn't COVID that is behind all of that. Some people still think that's the root of all of the sadness and anxiety that exists. It contributed to it. It isn't the economy. It isn't politics, (laughs) though that will come as a surprise to a lot of people. It's that most people have not found their God-ordained purpose in life. And because they don't know their purpose in life, they don't realize that their marriage has a purpose. Their family has a purpose. They have a purpose. And so they're going through the motions and they look at others who seem to live lives that are more meaningful and they say, that person's life has meaning, mine doesn't. Why? And one reason is when you discover and then act upon your purpose and you begin to walk that out, it causes something to be released in you, an anointing, a power of God that is not present when you are not walking out your purpose. And so you see another person and they're obviously enjoying a greater presence of God or a greater anointing. And you say, I want that. But God doesn't just pour into vessels and then let that vessel be set on the shelf and continue to pour 
until it spills out on the floor. No, he gives because he wants what he gives to be us to be used. I want to speak this morning about why it is so important that you find your purpose. My subject this morning is your mission should you choose to accept it. Should you choose to accept it. God, would you speak to us, I pray. Would you let your word come alive in these next minutes remaining and impact our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody shouted and said, Amen. I've already made it clear, but I'll state it again just to be that much more obvious. God has a purpose for your life. He wants to do something through you that's so extraordinary that what happened when Nehemiah built the wall that the enemy said this. They said this work was done by God. God wants to do something through you, with you, through your hands, through your efforts, your prayers, that when it is accomplished and achieved, everybody says, wow, that was God. Because we know this individual, none of us have that ability. This kicked it up to another level. Something was obviously at work. And that that was at work had to be the spirit of God. It took them only 52 days to complete the project of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 597. Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. The siege lasted 10 years. And in 587, that's almost 600 years before Christ was born, the city was destroyed. Walls were demolished. Houses torn down. Temple ravaged and destroyed And it had stayed that way for a very long time. Now, Nehemiah, the hero of this story, didn't start out as a hero. If I were to have a subtitle, it would be how a nobody came to be one of the greatest somebodies in the Bible. He was a nobody that ended up doing so much for God that they named a book after him. Literally, a book was written with his name. And that's Nehemiah. He didn't start out as a stonemason. He wasn't a project manager. He didn't own a construction company. I love how God can use difficult circumstances that people are in to do extraordinary things. Because Nehemiah was one of those carried away into captivity. And I don't even know when he was carried into captivity. It is only guessed at. But at the point we pick up on Nehemiah, remember it was the Babylonian empire that destroyed Jerusalem, but now he's working in the Persian empire because the the Babylonian empire existed and was attacked and conquered in turn by the Persians and they were defeated. And now Nehemiah is not in Babylon, which was the capital of the Babylonian empire. This story takes place in a city called Susha, which is the capital of the Persian empire. And he is a, the wine or the cup bearer, the wine taster for the king. Now we get the wrong idea and I, I need to take a few minutes to talk about this. We think he went around in a fancy uniform with a, a white linen towel over his cloth, over his forearm. No, he, that wasn't what he was doing. He was the poison tester. 
He wasn't testing the steak to make sure it was cooked right or the beans to make sure they had enough seasoning in them. When it says that he was the cup bearer, his position was literally one of the lowest that existed in the empire. Kings were afraid of being assassinated. So they would take people that were from the very lowest strata and usually they were even criminals. Nehemiah wasn't. But very often throughout history, that's how little regard they had for the cupbearer back then who tasted the wine or the food of the king before he could eat it. That they didn't mind losing a criminal, so they would usually take a criminal. But Nehemiah was not. He wasn't there, as I said, to make sure there was enough salt in the potatoes. He was there because he was dispensable. And if somebody put poison in the food of the king, it would kill him rather than the king. So if he didn't drop over dead, he wasn't there, by the way, to make sure it was the right vintage of wine. And if he sipped it and he remained standing, the king knew that he could drink it. But if he fell over dead, no, uh uh-uh, I'm not touching that stuff. I can get me another wine taster, but there's only one of me. And that's the kind of job he had, ladies and gentlemen. He wasn't a health hedge fund manager. He didn't own a hugely successful company. We're talking about a man. There weren't people standing in line to apply for his position. There was nobody trying to take his job from him. Amen. I want you to realize that there was no 401k. There was no health insurance. There were no end of the year bonuses. If he made it to the end of the year, he didn't know if he'd make it through the first of the year. And one day he went before the king to taste the wine and he was sad. And there was a law that that day you could not be sad in the presence of a king. It was so, so firmly established that if you wore sackcloth, which was a sign of mourning, you couldn't even go near the gate where the king would enter the city. Because you might distract him. And he had such weighty matters of government on his mind. That if you distracted him. And he took his mind off official business. He'd get angry and they'd kill you. Nehemiah came before the king and was sad. And the king asked him why are you sad. And he was, the Bible said he was greatly afraid. But he dove in. And he said, why wouldn't I be? Because the city of my fathers lies waste. And instead of the king asking that he be executed, the king said, what do you want? Lord, have mercy. That is extraordinary. But what you might not know is that Nehemiah fasted and prayed for four months before he ever let the king know what was on his mind. I'm talking to somebody that if you want to find your destiny and you want to get the attention of the king, I need you to know that praying works. It gets the attention of the king of kings. (laughs) Nehemiah went into intercession and prayer will bring clarity because as he prayed, he began to realize that he had a role in all of this. And when you pray, you begin to see your future more clearly. 
I've never known anybody that prayed and said, you know, I'm more confused now after I prayed about my destiny than before I started. No, it always leads you into a more clear understanding of your purpose. God knows what your assignment is before you were born. He told Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you and I ordained you to be a prophet. Oh, somebody ought to say hallelujah. Now, who am I talking to that your life seems like one gigantic heap of mixed up pieces to a jigsaw puzzle? And you don't even know where to start. If you will begin to fast and pray, and all of you parents and grandparents that brought these kids to be dedicated, if you will begin to seek God and teach them how to do the same thing, God will cause the pieces of their life to begin to come together just like he did with Nehemiah. Amen. You'll begin to see the picture. We learned something else in this story. And that is when you connect to your purpose, it will change your life. He was a nobody at the bottom of the totem pole, but after God got through with him, he is now a historic figure that is forever firmly established and his place is decided in the history of the nation of Israel. And like I said, he's even got a book in the Bible named after him. You want to leave a mark after you're gone? Get a hold of God and figure out what your purpose is. And so... The king asked him, what do you want? And listen to this. He said in Nehemiah 2 verse 7, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must, must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. There were a lot of hostile countries between Persia and Judah and he knew that he'd have to pass through them. But he knew there was a king that had authority over the domain where others were principalities only. I'm talking to somebody that if you're tired of bumping up against a wall here and a closed door there and another one slams in your face right there, if you will get a hold of God, there is a God that will give you a word that will tell the enemy, get out of his way, let him pass through. Let her pass through. She's on king's business now. And the enemy will have to get out of your way. And I love this because I said discovering his purpose changed his life. And he also gave a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. Notice this, that he would give Nehemiah timber to make beams for the gate of the citadel, which pertains to the temple. Zerubbabel had built most of the temple, but there was still some work to be done. And he said, I want you to give me letters that I can get the resources that I need to finish the wall, finish the temple. And he said, for the house that I will occupy. I love that because some of you, you ought to be shouting, but you haven't figured it out yet. Your resources are connected to your assignment. I need a better amen than that. Because we get the whole situation reversed. We pray, God, give me, give me. And God says, why? All you're going to do is just sit on it. 
Well, so I can have a better house than my neighbor. And God said, oh, that's really Christ-like. Let me get on that one right away. Well, I want to drive a better car than my friends. Oh, that impresses me. What kind would you like? I'll get to it right now. No, but when you ask for God to release resources for your purpose, God will build you a house in the process. Come on, somebody ought to give God a shout of praise. I do feel my anointing in this place right now. Somebody's on the verge of a breakthrough in their life. Woo! Hallelujah. And if you think about it, just praying for resources for yourself is just another word for selfishness. I want more resources so that I can live better than anybody else. But if you're saying, God, there's a great big assignment and I want you to help me get right in the middle of it. And I'm gonna tell you, I don't have the money. I don't have the smarts. I don't have the connections, but you do. God will build you a house while he's building your life. Give God some praise out there, somebody. Lord, I'm talking to someone in this building right now. Because what we usually do is say, as soon as I get the resources, that's when I'm going to worry about my destiny. Oh, you got it backwards. I also want you to know that it will change your life in another way. In Nehemiah 2 and 9, he also went to the governors in the region and gave them the king's letters. Here, I got a word from the king. When you get a word from God, all of a sudden it changes the landscape. It changes the narrative. He said, I've got a letter from the king. And in case you hadn't figured out what the analogy is, you've got a letter from the king of kings. And this is what he, he said. He went to them and the king, it says, had sent captains of the army and horsemen with him. When you were on the king's assignment, you were surrounded by an angelic force where the devil can't lay a finger on you. I'm talking to somebody, cancer's gotta go, problems have gotta go, that spine problem has got to be healed in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm just about done. So Nehemiah actually went to Jerusalem and saw the need and determined to do something about it. A lot of people see the need, but not so many people choose to act. But he went out at night with only a few men. I like that. He didn't do this. Well, test and see which way the wind is blowing. He went out by himself with only a few men. Didn't take the whole crowd to see the damage that was done and then came back. And this is what he said in Nehemiah 2 and 17. He told everybody else, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem. He solicited others into the project once his heart caught on fire. 
I want to tell you when somebody's heart catches on fire, it creates a passion in everybody around them. When you love to worship, it makes everybody else want to worship and join in with you. When you begin to pray, it makes others begin to want to pray. And when you begin to serve, it does the same thing. Now, I'm going to conclude with this. Because there is always the question that arises when we're talking about assignments. And people will say, you know, I tried, but I fell flat on my face. I've got a word for somebody. I'm going to conclude with this in in just a couple of minutes. But you need to hear this first. And what does it what does that mean, Pastor? I did try. And I, the reason I, you don't see me involved is, is because I gave it my best shot and then nothing worked out or people talked bad about me or, you know, nothing took place. I remember when we were going to build this building. You see, we've been in this building now. We were in it less than a year and, and COVID came. And, and so we've now been in this building, what, a little over four and a half years or right about going on four and a half years. And so we had three years of COVID. But we were in the other building. And Lord, if you didn't know us then, we were having five services a day on Sunday. And we would have oftentimes a sixth service that we called a Holy Spirit encounter on Sunday night. I was preaching six times a day. Man, I, I, I love what I do. But it was beginning to make me feel like, like you, your son, you're getting a little old for this, you know. And... and We actually came here and started to launch the project and we broke ground. And when we did, the economy fell apart. That was way back in 2007, 2008. Anybody remember that? And we went through an economic reversal in this nation. And when that happened, I just felt so bad. Our, our people were having their houses repossessed and, and their cars taken away and losing jobs. And I prayed and I fasted and I pulled the plug. I said, this, this is not the right time. And we waited. Did we need this building? You better know we needed it. We weren't trying to just have a nice building so people would drive by and say, look how pretty that building is. In fact, now... I only preach three times, well, twice on Sunday. I don't usually preach a Spanish service in the afternoon. We've got a great Spanish pastor, but we only have three services. We sometimes will still have a Holy Spirit encounter. But man, I've got so much time on Sunday, I got time to go fishing. I love what I do. If you haven't figured that out, I'm having the time of my life. But did we need a building? Yes. Why didn't we complete it then? Because the timing was not right. I'm talking to somebody. Maybe it wasn't the right time yet, but God has not given up on you. Somebody ought to give God a praise break right now. Hallelujah. And I feel this word. I don't care who walked out on you. I don't care who left you. Maybe your business went belly up and you thought that was your destiny. I've got a God that still believes you've got it in you. 
There is a God who's still pulling for you, who still has plans for your life. Amen. Who am I talking to? Who am I preaching to right now? But pastor, you don't know what I went through. You don't know what happened. My marriage fell apart. I lost the job that was my dream job. I thought everything was smooth sailing into the future. And you're acting in the past tense. Let me tell you what you need to do. And this is what I've come to tell somebody. God used a pagan king to finance the future of the children of God. Oh, hold on. I'm not done. You need to make the devil who has robbed you of your past pay for your future. Come on, can I get somebody in this building to be real with me right now? You thought you were still in my destiny. I'm still in the fight. I'm not giving up. Hallelujah. Stand with me across the building. Tell somebody I'm not done yet. I'm not through yet. I'm not out of the race yet. I'm a nobody, but I'm getting ready to become a somebody. I'm going to make a mark on this world before I'm gone. God's going to use me. I may not have a book written in the Bible called by my name. And nobody in this room might really know who I am. But I'll be known in heaven. And the devil will know who I am by the time I get through too. Because I will be known in hell. God has plans for my life. Purposes. Plans. Yeah, there'll be some problems. But I'm going to get through it. As I pursue after God. Every head bowed. Could I see the hands of those you'd lift your hands right where you are. And say, Pastor, I need God. I'm tired of going through life aimlessly and without direction. I need to hook up with God, my creator. Need to surrender my life to him. Raise your hand right where you are. And I'll pray for you. Raise your hand. I'll pray. God bless you. Hands going up all over the building. Come on, keep raising them. Keep raising them. You're right at home. Hands all over the risers and the ground floor. Let's pray. Father. I pray right now that you will hear the cry of every person in this room. A cry to know that their life matters to you. That it has meaning. That they're not just here by accident. You created us for a reason. And Lord, that reason will never be discovered if we don't give our hearts to you. So forgive us of our sins and our self-will. Forgive us for trying to rule our own lives when we should move aside and let you do that for us. And so I ask you to save us and come into our hearts. And forgive us of where we failed you. Forgive us of the wrongs we've done. Forgive us of not always having the right attitude and the right heart, being obedient. And we trust you now. And we thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name.
and everybody shouted and give God some praise. Come on, let's let's have a party for a moment. Hallelujah. We welcome every one of you that prayed that prayer. We welcome every one of you into the family of Christ. And they'll put up instructions. They're already there on the screen behind me. If you've not been baptized, you can be baptized. You've got prayer requests. We will pray with you. You can let us know what those are. I'll write a daily devotional that you can subscribe to by text. It's only a very short one. Doesn't cost you a thing. We don't charge anything. You can begin the day with all of us as we pray and look at the same word of God together. Now, this is what I want to do. Are you listening? There are people in this building who feel like their life is over. You feel like it ended when your significant other walked away. There's some of you that are struggling with depression. There's some of you that lost a career. A business went belly up. You think that ended it for you. You've beaten yourself down for so long about the failures in your life. That you don't think even God in his infinite goodness and grace can redeem you. There's some of you that are here. You'd just like to know that you matter to the father. And if you're in any of those categories that I've just mentioned, I want you to come up here quickly. Come on right now, because I'm going to pray for you. Come across the building. Come. We're going to pray. We're going to get your life kickstarted again. We've been fasting and praying as a church. And we've been, we haven't been praying and fasting for four months, but we've been going for one month already. And some of us have gone longer than that. And to be honest, even though it ends on Wednesday, I'm hoping some of you will learn to make this a part of your regular devotional life each week. Praying and fasting often, praying every day, fasting, it will change your life. Come on close. Because somebody's going to have a breakthrough. Somebody in this altar area is going to begin to see light. Amen. Truth is what Isaiah 61 called it. Move in close. There are a lot of folk behind you. And I want to pray for you right now. Father God, in this room, there are people who have not yet found what you've called them to do or be. There are some of these in this altar, many of them who are Christians. But they've never learned that not only is there purpose in terms of eternal life. There's greater purpose in terms of our life having meaning. Impacting people around us. Being used of you for some significant purpose. And God, I'm asking you to step into this room and invade this altar. And I want you to speak to hearts right now. I'm asking you to help that man who feels isolated and alone. Like he's been left in the middle of the ocean and the ship has sailed by. I'm asking you to help him. And realize that you're the Lord. Great and mighty and that you know exactly where he's at and that you're here for him and that lady 
who feels because her marriage didn't make it and somebody walked away and she believes she's abandoned and the rest of her life will not count. I want you to show her that that one had to go so that you could release her future, that you can release her assignment, that her greatest days are not in the past, but they're right now, they're upon her. These are the days to celebrate divine destiny and purpose. I'm asking you to embrace every one of these and wrap your arms around them and release your power and your anointing. These young people who are here today who need to know that their lives matter. And I remember back when I was just a young person without much hope and without much future. And God, I ask in Jesus' name that you will let them see what they can't see right now. God, open their spiritual eyes and cause their lives to have purpose. And we give you praise for it. And could we all together begin to worship God right now? Come on, somebody give God some praise. Come on, somebody give God some praise. Come on, somebody give God some praise. Somebody's about to have a breakthrough. 